the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Wednesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you are listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever is on your heart, I'll do the best that I can to answer. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. We can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the Call Now banner. At the top of the screen, you'll be connected directly to the studio producer, and everything then from that point forward is hands-free. Because it's Wednesday, we've got a Bible study tonight. Um, uh, we're actually opening the, the prophetic portion of the book of Daniel, sort of the backbone of all prophecy, Daniel chapter 2. Unfortunately, it's so long that I'm only going to be able to get to the dream and the attendant circumstances tonight, and we'll get to the interpretation, the meaning of the dream uh, prophetically, and it is precise and it is detailed. We'll do that in our study next time. That's tonight at 7 o'clock. You can watch it at calvaryessay.com, uh, or you can join us. We've always got room in the sanctuary on Wednesday nights. And remember, Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow um, on the date day edition of the program. So ladies, especially the program is geared to you, but normally we get men who call whatever it's on your heart. Paula is going to be here to help out. 340-9585 for your live calls. Let's go to our first question. This one from our email inbox, and it comes from Sandy. Pastor Ron, I'm a longtime listener and love the teachings I get from your entire website. Thank you, Sandy. Uh, you talk about the 1984 NIV Bible, and I think I have one. If it says copyright 1974, 1978, 1984, is this the correct one? I was going to send you a picture of the page, but didn't know how to do that. May God continue to bless your ministry. Cindy, if you'd have sent me one, I probably don't know how to to watch it. So um, I am not very technically inclined. Uh, Yes, if your NIV says um, those copyright dates, that is the 1984 version of the NIV Bible. I've got this beautiful lady in our church. She's just got such a gorgeous heart. And um, she's, I think, bringing me like a Bible a week. Uh, she she loves chasing things down and, and solving mysteries. And she's finding the 1984 editions of the NIV. Uh, also, uh, I just told uh, had Pastor Ken tell me, uh, he's trying to get my iPad ready for my trip to Mexico this week. I can't read Spanish, so it doesn't help me if I do that. So he said, fix it. But he says, by the way, I have got an app 
that can put the 1984 NIV on your iPad. Do you want it? I said, yes, right now. Can you get it quickly? Uh, the U version uh, no longer has it. Copyright infringement issues. They can't do it. But um, so, so yes, if there's a 1984 Bible, you've got it. God bless you, Sandy. You will enjoy it. Thank you very much for the question. And thanks for listening. I think sometimes we forget, you know, we do the program every day at 4 o'clock. And I think sometimes we just forget, out of sight, out of mind kind of thing, how many people have listened for a very, very long time. And uh, as as you indicated, all of our stuff on our website is absolutely free. Uh, there's no charge for anything. We try to make it as easy to get and use as possible. And I think, uh, I hope, um, I love hearing, Sandy, that it is of value to you. Richard says, tips about handling anxiety and mental stress. Richard, four letters, J-B-W-J. Just be with Jesus. Now, I know people are going to get frustrated with me. I, I get emails all the time saying, well, what do you mean by that? I don't understand. Just be with Jesus. Jesus said, come unto me, you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But we got to come to him we got to give those things that we're anxious uh, or stressed out about. we got to give those things to him. And the only way we can do that is to take our hands off of those things. That's why Jesus said, uh, don't worry so many times. He said, don't be afraid so many times. Be anxious for nothing, we're told in the scriptures. And it doesn't mean that we won't be touched with anxiety or stress. What it means is that we have an outlet for that anxiety and stress and trying to carry it ourselves, trying to wrestle with it or figure out what to do with it uh, defeats the purpose of just handing it over to Jesus. So, Richard, there is no other solution. You know, people will talk about all kinds of ways to reduce your stress, to drop your blood pressure, um, to, to deal with anxiety, to help you sleep at night. Um, Jesus is the answer for all those things. And so that's how you do it. When you realize, and I like the way Paula says it, she says, God knows stuff. And if God knows stuff and I don't know stuff, I'd rather let the one who knows stuff deal with it. And so I just, I, like everybody, I get worried about things. Anxiety is a fact of life. But when you recognize that you're being anxious about something or worrying about something, that's when you've got to stop right where you are and say, Jesus, you got this. I don't know what you're going to do or how you're going to do it, but you've got it. And then I think the thing that we have to get comfortable with, Richard, is we don't need to know how he's going to do it. All we have to do is be with him, follow his lead, and we're going to be okay. He's going to lead us away from the things that we're anxious or stressed out about. Now, one of the things to remember, Richard, is that the enemy's always going to be pushing those anxiety and stress buttons because they have worked so well in the past for almost all of us. He's going to keep pushing those buttons over and over and over, and we've got to be willing to hit the off button when he does. And the way we do that is simply to say, Jesus, I want you to take care of this. I don't know what to do. And if you'll get rid of your expectations, Richard, if you'll just say, okay, Lord, I know what... I would do, but but I want to know what you do. And just obey. Then the responsibility to care for you is his. And you'll find how wonderfully that works. You know, if you're too busy protecting yourself, he can't protect you. If you're too busy defending yourself, he can't defend you. So what you got to do is just say, Lord, you got this. And I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to focus on your word. I'm going to focus on my calling. I'm going to focus on the people that are in front of me. Whatever it is I'm going to do, Lord. Then that's exactly what. I'm going to let you do the hard stuff. I'm going to take the easy stuff. The easy stuff is following you. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate that question very, very much. Let's go to Cindy on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, Hi, Cindy. I was going to... Hi, I was going to call yesterday, but then time kind of got away from me. When we were talking about the wedding feast, and I've got a couple of things here. And I'm really curious, when we get changed, when we get raptured, our bodies 
are going to change. And I'm wondering, I hope I'm making sense on this. Um, so is the wedding feast, are we going to, like, have dinner and, you know, stuff like that and, and drink, you know, liquids? And, you know, because we'll be, I guess we'll be kind of physical and kind of not. Because mm-hmm. we'll be in the millennium, and and people then are going to be physical. So, so, so then, yeah. but then Go it ahead. made me wonder about when when everything changes at the very end, and God makes a new heaven and a new earth. If we're changed again, and and maybe into something that is just completely spiritual. So I don't know if this is making any sense, and it seems kind of like one of those out in left field or somewhere kind of <laughs> questions. I'm going to leave it with you, and um, I can't wait for tonight's study. I think it's going to be really good. Bye. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you. A uh, couple of things. One, our bodies are going to be like Jesus's. He had a physical body. Uh, it was a glorified, resurrected physical body, but a physical body nonetheless. He ate and he drank, and he did that to show them that he's real, that he's really um, um, human in form. Uh, and that's the kind of body we're going to have. Now, we don't know anything more about that body than that. We we know that Jesus could materialize through walls. He could he could be in one place and instantly be transported to the next place. We'll be able to do those things. But other than that, we don't know. Now, keep in mind, and I, I'm sure I misunderstood you, Cindy, but the wedding banquet that we're going to uh, during the seven-year Great Tribulation here on earth will be in heaven with Jesus. Uh, that's not in the millennium. That's before the millennium. And we will have the same bodies in heaven when we go to be with Jesus. We'll have the same bodies in heaven that we have during the millennium. That's when we will rule and reign with Jesus. We will execute justice on his behalf in some fashion or form that, that isn't explained to us in Scripture. But we'll have the same bodies when we're here on earth that we have uh, when we're in the the wedding banquet with these the new clothes, fine white linen of the saints, all that's very, very important symbolically. It just means that our new bodies will be cleansed um, uh, without sin. There'll be no malice. There'll be no ego. There'll be no pride. Uh, we'll, we'll be like him. And I think that's crystal clear. Now, you asked about the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, we will have the same bodies in the new heaven and the new earth that we have at the wedding banquet and that we have on the, during the millennial reign. So once our bodies are transformed to be like his, Jesus is the God-man forever. For eternity, he will always be God. He will always be man. And, and, and there's no distinction. One doesn't stop at some given point in time. Well, likewise, we will have the same glorified, resurrected bodies, um, physical um, but 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 perfect and spiritual as well. But no, we won't somehow evolve into just a spiritual realm. We will always have these bodies. One of the things to remember, Cindy, is that we were the greatest thing God ever created. Ephesians chapter two verse ten says that we're His workmanship. The poema is the Greek word. We're His expression of beauty. It's the best He can do. And he's really, really pleased with his creation. So these are the bodies that we're going to carry forever. Let's go to a caller from Converse, our friend Ron on line two. Ron, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. I had a question. Good to hear from you. Thank you. I had a question. You're welcome, sir. I had a question about the... Well, there's going to be two or three, and we can do a rapid succession. Okay. I have an NIV with a 73, 78, and 84. And uh, it's, it starts as early as 73, and then 78, and it ends with 84. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, is that is that the more acceptable, you said 84, anything with 84? Yes, that that's that just means it was first published in 73, then it was republished later than that, and then 84 was the last publish of that particular uh, edition. So, yes. That's a, that's the a good Bible. Okay. Good. And what is it that differentiates eighty four from from uh, are the translation translations lost or 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 muddled up or or interfered with anything other than later than eighty four? 
Yeah, the the new version, and, and the, the publishers of the NIV, remember, these guys are always wanting to make money and sell more Bibles. So uh, they, they yeah. made it gender-inclusive, uh, which which literally means it ceases to be a translation oh. and is an interpretation. Um, you know, one of the reasons we have Bible teachers, we can say, well, this applies to men or this applies both to men and women. But the, the translators of the 2011 wow. NIV have tried to do that for you. And they're just trying to find a Bible that will be more socially acceptable, so more more palatable to to mainstream America. So um, that that's the primary difference. It ceases to be a translation uh, when you're adding things to it. And that's what the, the publishers did. Uh, in the 2011 edition. Yes, I think we've talked before about that. How some some mm-hmm. interpretations even dismiss the fact that Mary it was a she, that she was a virgin that it was a virgin yep. birth and that they they call her the maiden or something to that effect. I don't have that translation. Of course. Yeah, That's it's cool. it's kind of Ron. It's kind of like a seeker sensitive Bible, you know, like seeker sensitive churches. They don't want to say anything to upset anybody. Uh, they don't talk about uh, sin. So, so what they've tried to do is to water down the um, the uh, original manuscripts, and I think that is a tragedy. Yeah, it'd be heretical at that point, or false. Well, the, um... pro- probably short of her- heresy, but certainly not uh-huh. faithful to the original manuscripts. I see. I see because I have one friend who's Southern Baptist, and he is so adamant. <clears throat> about exclusively accepting only the King James, and yeah. that he says, well, I guess it's, if somebody has an NIV, maybe it's better than nothing, but he's uh, he shies away from it, and most of the congregants shy away from it, and they tend to go strictly, and I mean, uh, King, King James Version, and, and, yeah. and I, I don't under, fully understand it. I just know that... Um, I think the NIV is true to the word, and, and, and my yeah, daughter was the, able to understand it. Yeah, Ron, I think the King James Version is true to the, the manuscripts that they are translating. Uh, it just becomes yeah. a little bit awkward and weighty because we don't use the same English words that were used back in the 17th true. century. And uh, I, I just a, a, a Bible needs to be friendly. It needs to be something that you'll pick up and read. And the King James, as wonderful as it is, is uh, is just a little bit difficult for people to grasp because of the language use. Mm-hmm. One other one other thought yeah, yeah. here, Ron. Um, um, the, the the well the, the churches and, and people that say King James only. It's the only authorized Bible. That's just really bad, dishonest scholarship. It's not. Uh, they're they're not being honest. Uh, they're not reasoning or rationally thinking things through. Um, um, yeah. You know, to, to to set it up like you got to be King James, you got to be NIV. Uh, none of that's true. The NASB is a good translation. The New King James is a good translation. I just think what we have to do, Ron, is is have people pick up a Bible that they'll read, making sure it's a good, authentic translation, and then we can go from there. Ron, thank you for your call. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to Converse again from Madison on line one. Madison or Mason? Mason, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Mason. Um, I'm Mason. I know. How are you? Uh, good. Good. How old are you, Mason? I'm not Mason. I'm Nathan. Nathan. Oh, Nathan. Oh, Nathan. My My screen says Mason. Please forgive me. Well, then I know how old you are. What's your question today, Nathan? Um, my question is, um, uh, in Revelation, the locusts, um, of that they're going to have crowns on their heads, uh, uh, and their faces are going to be like the face of men, and they had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion teeth. Uh, uh, but mm-hmm. are the them going to be man-made, or are they just going to be like that? Yeah. You know, Nathan, there's there's a lot of disagreement about that. I'm going to tell you what I think in a moment. But remember that John is seeing a vision, and he's trying to describe things that are going to be thousands of years in the future. 
um, based on his own life experience. And um, some people say, well, he's describing um, nuclear helicopters or he's describing nuclear war. Um, I don't think that's the case, Nathan. I think these are demonic hordes that are let loose from the, the, the abyss, from the center of the earth. And I think they're going to look remarkably like John described. Um, but but remember, he's he's describing things that he's never seen before and can't possibly understand. Uh, if if you've ever had a dream or a nightmare, Nathan, and when you woke up, you tried to remember what you saw in that dream or nightmare, it's hard to remember sometimes. Well, that's kind of what John was dealing with. But I personally think that this is a a, a, a judgment. Um, uh, from a demonic horde permitted by God um, to inflict pain, and that's exactly what they do. So uh, I don't think they're real locust. Uh, locust in a Jewish sense was was um, uh, symbolic of uh, being overrun by an enemy army. So I think, Nathan, that these are, are um, some sort of demonic horde that God allows to inflict pain on people. Now, why would God allow uh, pain to be inflicted? Well, God wants people to repent. Now, they're not going to, but he's giving them the opportunity. And I think in this particular case, what they're doing is they're simply saying, um, this is a judgment from God, and God uses the demonic horde to inflict that judgment. Nathan, thank you for that. I appreciate the call very, very much. And I'll just tell my audience, Nathan goes to my church, and he is such a smart young man that when he asks me questions, I get a little nervous because he asks some questions where the answers are really, really difficult. We've got five minutes left. Let's go to line three and talk with Ruben, our friend from Seguin. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. That just blessed my heart to, to hear that young man. I mean, just... Just, I mean, without he just asked, and I was like, "Oh my God!" Yeah, Reuben, he's he knows more of the Bible than most adults that I know. Um, you know what? Um, there is, yeah, there is no doubt he has a call to be a Bible teacher, maybe a pastor at some point in his future. But but this kid is gifted, and he's serious about it. I mean, he doesn't ask questions for fun. He wants answers. So um, yeah. keep keep Nathan in your prayers. I definitely will, definitely will. I know you said you have five minutes, so like under five minutes for now. Uh, first of all, I want to thank everybody for praying for me last week. Um, um, I'm still in a lot of pain, but last week was just horrible. The enemy was hitting me with anxiety, and... A bunch of pressure, but I fought through it. Thank God, and with the people's prayers, I got through it. God answered a prayer of mine. Uh, I hadn't spoken or seen my mother in three months because my brothers and sisters wouldn't allow it. Uh, Saturday, I received a phone call from my aunt telling me that my mom had called my aunt to call me for her, her me to call her, and I was like, oh, "Wow!" Good. So I called her and I. Yeah, I finally had a chance to speak to her, so praise God. But uh, I, like, like Nathan, do have a question. Uh, even though I'm going through what I'm going through, I'm sticking to God and just still searching. You know, and there's mm-hmm. things that I want to know. I want to know. Uh, what is it? John, Luke, I'm sorry, Luke 638. Um, now, everyone knows this scripture as the prosperity scripture um because it says give and it shall be given unto you good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosoms for with the same measure that you meet with all it shall be measured to you now um to me i see three distinct things that the word of god is saying but First it says, given it shall be given unto you. To me, a lot of pastors, and I've heard this saying that this is it's a it's a it's talking about tithes. If you give, God will give it, you know, pressed down, uh, good measure, flow, flowing over, and everything. But to me, as I read this, I read before and it was talking about the olive, uh, the olive, uh, the olive tree, the olive uh, grape or whatever. Pressed that down. It was talking about how to make the anointing oil. Now, correct me yeah. if I'm wrong, 
about that first part. The second part I see is, it, is after it says running over, it says, shall men give into your bosom? Now, I don't know wh- why that's in there because to me, it's for me, for my mindset, it doesn't make sense with what's written before. That's the second part. Now, the last part is for with the measure, the same measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. So can you explain that to me as I listen to you on the air? Yeah, yeah, and and Ruben, you're gonna to have to hang. If you can't listen to the radio, you're gonna to have to hang on over the break, because we're inside uh, about a minute and a half now. Uh, th- this particular passage, and we have we cannot take this out of context. Um, um, uh, it is true that if you give generously, God will bless you. Now that can't be why we give, but in this passage of scripture, that's not what's being spoken of at all. Go back to verse thirty-five. It says, "But love your enemies." Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High because he is kind to to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And then comes the passage. And now we're at the hard break. So I will finish this on the other side of the break. Hey, you have tuned in to the Word to Stand Up for Life. We've got 30 minutes left in the show, 340-9585. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our wednesday show 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR um you know reuben um, beginning in verse 36 um, of of Luke chapter 6 is Jesus teaching on the principle of spiritual reaping and sowing. Now certainly that can apply to our giving and it does apply. Um, again, we can't outgive God but that's not at all what the context of this passage is. And I have grown to absolutely hate the way this verse that you asked about is is ruined um, and, and distorted by prosperity teachers. Uh, you know, what they're trying to do is dangle a carrot in front of you. You give to me and God will give you more. Uh, test God on these things. But that misses the context. So reaping and sowing, let's talk about this for a moment. Uh, if we reap mercy, or I'm sorry, if we sow mercy, we'll reap mercy. If we sow compassion, then we'll reap compassion. Um, if we condemn people, um, then unfortunately we're going to reap condemnation. If we hold on to unforgiveness, then we're going to reap from that bad fruit. So here's the thing. If we want mercy, if we want to be, uh, if we dislike being judged by others, if we want to be forgiven, um, then we, we've got to make sure that we treat other people the same way that we want to be treated. So that's really important uh, understanding the context of this. Now, in the particular verse that you spoke about, in verse 38, given it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, the false teachers will say, well, that's just give more than you can afford to give. If you have to borrow to give, you do that. God will give you more. That misses out completely because this isn't specifically talking about money. This is the principle of reaping and sowing. And if we are generous, a generous man will himself be blessed by God, Proverbs chapter 11 says. So the idea here is that in all of these things, we've got to be generous in giving mercy. We've got to be generous in, in, in forgiving people. Uh, if we'll do that, God will be generous with us. And when he says it'll be pressed down or running over and poured into your lap, you said your bosom, that's another translation. The idea is there'll be more than you can hold on to. Ruben, I have kids that come in here uh, after church uh, on Sundays and Fridays, typically. 
and um, uh, I give candy. You know, I've got some M&Ms and some Skittles and some lollipops. And the kids will come in and say, okay, what do you want? And some, some of the kids will say, I want both. And I'll say, well, you got to ask your mom or your dad if that's okay. But when I, when I go in to dig into the M&Ms, some of the kids will look at me with a little smile on their face and real quiet. They'll say, give me a lot. And sometimes they'll have their hands out and their little hands won't hold the amount that I give them. And so they start to spill. Well, that's what happens with God's blessings when we're generous in forgiveness and we're generous in mercy. And when we don't judge others and, and when we're, we're, we're willing to treat other people the way that, that God wants us to treat them, we will be blessed because that's who God is and blessing us is what he does. So that's what he's talking about here. And like you, um, that is a horrible proof text. Uh, will God give us, bless us financially? Sometimes. But only if he can trust you with his money. If our motive for, for doing anything for God is to get money, if our motive for giving to God is to get him to give us more, uh, our hearts are wicked, Reuben. And that's just not the way God works. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Charles has a question. Pastor Ron, where did Cain's wife came come from? Um, well, Cain's wife would have come from one of his sisters. Now, I know we go yuck when we think of that, but remember, this was a world that was nearly perfect. I mean, this was a world where God said, be fruitful and multiply. There would be nobody else. And, and certainly there would be so many other people very quickly in a near perfect world who would be uh, multiplying on the earth. Now, Genesis chapter 5, we, we sometimes think, well, well, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, they were the only people on the earth. That's probably not true. Cain, Adam and Eve, we're told, had many other sons and daughters in Genesis chapter 5. So... Uh, Cain's wife could have come from any of those sisters at first, uh, later that would be cousins and things. But but the earth, that's the only way the earth could be multiplied. And as creepy as it is for us, it certainly wasn't a sin uh, because there was no other source for multiplication at that point. And the curse hadn't uh, caused things to deteriorate to the point where that would be harmful. So, um, you know, by the time Cain killed Abel, we don't have the names or stories of any of the other of, of Adam's Eve's sons other than Seth. But, but, you know, when Cain killed Abel, they could have been a hundred or more years old. We don't know. And you can imagine how quickly the earth would multiply. And so there would be an ample supply of men and women. You remember when Cain said to, to God, my punishment is more than I can bear. If I go out, people will kill me. And God put a mark on him, a seal on him to protect him. There were all kinds of other people in the world at that time. So we of us tendency to think they were kids. There was nobody else on the earth. On, on the earth and that's when Cain killed Abel. Uh, that's simply not the case at all, Charles. So that's where his wife and all of the other wives for all of the other people came from. Thank you for the question. Evelyn says, what would you say to someone who says going to church is a tradition not found in the Bible and he doesn't need to go? Evelyn, I would tell him to read the Bible. All he has to do is go to Acts chapter 2. The church by now is exploding. And um, they went to church day and night. They were in church. They gathered together in people's homes in the first century. Um, we'd say home Bible studies. They would go there to break bread. People were very generous. Um, but But going to church is, from the beginning of the church, that's the place of fellowship. And being a part of a local church is the only way that God works through his people now. I run into people all the time, Evelyn, who, who say, well, you know, um, God speaks to me and leads me and directs me, and I go here and I go there, where he says. But, but if they're not a member of a local church, a productive, serving member of a, of a local church, then they're not hearing God's voice at all. It's just that straightforward. And I know we like our independence, but uh, this is a, a dishonest person who uh, just doesn't want to go. 
He'd rather selfishly keep Sundays for himself instead of doing what God told him to do. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, Do not forsake the assembling together of the saints as some, as many are in the habit of doing. So, uh, and by the way, that's written right in the middle of a warning in the book of Hebrews, the next to the last warning um, against falling away uh, for, at first slowly and then getting to the point where you've, you've just become so far from the Lord that you don't even recognize you're lost anymore. So uh, I would just tell him he doesn't know what he's talking about. And this is one of those cases, Evelyn, where I would probably say, and since I don't know this person, I'm not judging, but I would probably say this is a don't cast your pearls before swine moment. Uh, If people don't want to hear, um, then don't tell them. You've already told them. You've spoken to them. Now the rest is uh, between him and the Lord. Red writes in and says, are ecumenical churches good or safe? Um, Red ecumenical churches, um, I sometimes refer to them as common ground churches. Let's all get together, set aside doctrine, set aside theology, and just get together and worship around the person of Jesus Christ. The problem is, is that ecumenical churches don't have the real Jesus. So no, they're not safe. No, they're not good. They're doing so much harm. Doctrine matters, Red. Doctrine matters a great deal. And what we've got to understand is that if we throw doctrine out, Paul even said that it's good that there are differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. And this whole idea, let's just get together and sing kumbaya songs, and and uh, that, that's simply not scripturally supported. So ecumenical churches are neither good nor are they safe. They are, in fact, dangerous, and uh, we need to avoid them. You know, Red, it gives me an opportunity. I've got a question that just came in, but but for a moment, let me share my heart has really been heavy. Now, I've gone through, I'm 26 years the pastor here uh, of our church, and um, um, you know, I've gone through all kinds of things. I get mad at false churches. I get mad at secret-sensitive churches. Then God says, don't get angry at them. Pray for them. And, and you know, it's just, it's, I see the damage it's done. People who don't know Jesus. And, and especially in these ecumenical churches that uh, have become so liberal and so accepting of all kinds of horrendous sin, the damage is immense. And those are the people that Peter describes in Second Peter as those who will be in the deepest, darkest, most painful parts of hell. Those who abide and abed these kinds of passages. Thank you. Let's go to Evan on line one from San Antonio. Evan, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi. Um, I was just calling because a little while ago I was talking to one of my friends who's also a believer um, about serving because I had noticed that they haven't been serving and they've been coming to church for a long time. And so... And I kind of, I directed them to your message that you recently taught on in, I I believe it was 1 Corinthians 12, and Mm -hmm. you talked a lot about serving, and they kind of just blew it off because they said, well, the Bible doesn't specifically say you have to serve in church, and they said that their, how they serve God was by sharing the gospel with unbelievers. And I said, well, yes, that is kind of possible. In church, the boss as well, not just unbelievers. I wanted to hear what you have to say on that. Okay, Evan, thank you very, very much. And thank you for taking a stand for Jesus there, too, because uh, in John chapter 13, Jesus gave us the definition of service. He washed the feet of the disciples who ought to be washing his feet. Jesus said, I didn't come to to be served. I came rather to serve. And he gave them a practical demonstration of that in the upper room when he washed the feet of his disciples. 
And he said, I've done this, not the foot washing. That's just the, 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 the broader category Evan is serving. I've done this as an example for you to go and do likewise. And the, 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 the person, the Christian who says, well, my serving is sharing Jesus, he, he, he's actually sharing a message that has no substance to it. Because the, the man or the woman no matter the age, and we do live, we, we, we live in a time where a lot of people don't serve. They think going to church is actually serving God. It's not. I said in that message that you referred to that, that the church is not a spectator sport. It's a participation that we all need to be involved in. And the man and the woman who's not serving, simply put, the Spirit of God is not flowing in or through them. And when they're sharing Jesus with other people, they're sharing a Jesus that they're a stranger to. And one thing doesn't disqualify the other. Should your friend um, um, share Jesus with, with other people? Yes, that's a very good thing. But that doesn't exclude the responsibility to serve the other people that make up the body of Christ where he goes to church. So, uh, it, it's it's very important, and, and I said in that message, Evan, that when uh, people begin serving, when when they, they they come to church to be a blessing to somebody else, that's when the gifts of the Spirit begin flowing upon them and then through them to others. It's also when their life becomes rich and abundant, and and it's because they're no longer being selfish. So the man. Or the woman who doesn't want to serve in church really doesn't know Jesus very well. I'm not judging his salvation. Um, we can be saved and live a pretty fruitless life. Um, but if you want to be fruitful, then what we've got to do is we've got to be willing to be like Jesus and serve the rest of the people in the body. So, Evan, thank you for standing up for Jesus and doing the right thing. Pray for your friend. Um, you know, anybody that can blow off what Jesus said to do um, um, makes no sense. You know, Evan brings up a good question because uh, I've been accused of everything. Oh, you just want free labor. Well, no, I don't. I, I say to our church, God doesn't need volunteers. He doesn't want volunteers. God wants servants. And that offends people. We We want to do something and get something in return. Jesus said, I want you to do it just for me. And uh, I know Evan who called. Evan is a perfect example of a young woman who serves God with all of her heart and and is living a life that is abundant and blessed. So it's a, a really, really neat thing. Evan, thank you for that. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585. Here is a question from Wanda called into the studio. Uh, she wants to know, what do I think of the Expositor's Bible? Um, I think it's okay, Wanda, uh, but but I'm not a fan, as, as you may have heard me say before. I'm not a fan of, of um, different variations of the Bible, study Bibles and things like that. Now, the Expositor's Bible comes in different versions, New King James Version. Uh, I think it comes in the NASB and the NIV. Um, and and I think probably comes in the in the King James version as well. So the Bible isn't the issue. The manuscript's not the issue. Um, the expositor's Bible. You've got people preaching. You've got people interpreting. And I just am not a favor of that. I'm not in favor of that at all. I think that what we ought to do, rather than get study Bibles, I think we ought to have Bibles with nothing but Scripture in them. Reference Bibles, they're called. Um, um, just, just reference, but just with Bible. So you're reading Bible rather than the the expositor's opinion or the the author of the study Bible's opinion or interpretation of something. Let the Holy Spirit begin teaching you what He's saying to you. It's not as quick, um, but at the same time, it's much richer and more valuable because what happens is that we. Uh, we we start asking the Holy Spirit what this Bible says or what this verse says or what it means. And, and equally important is, okay, what does it mean for me? How can I use this to change my life? And And I think if we start leaning on, relying on the Holy Spirit rather than what some other commentator has said, uh, I think we're better. So, Wanda, it's not bad at all. 
but um, um, they're just lots better Bibles to spend your time with. And then if you really want commentaries on it, and there's nothing wrong with commentaries, if you really want commentaries, there are a lot better and more complete commentaries than those in the Expositor's Bible. Great question. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Jesse. Jesus promised abundant life. Does that mean financially and in health and job, etc.? Um, Jesse, the abundant life is the life where Jesus is. The life lived in the perfect will of God. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I urge you, brothers, therefore, and the therefore is there because it refers to all of the promises that came before. I urge you, brothers, therefore, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And then he says, it is your reasonable service. The least you can do is what it means. And then he says, do not conform any longer to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test God's perfect, pleasing, and acceptable will. So that's the abundant life. I call it, uh, often Jesse, living under the spout where the glory comes out. Uh, I've I've described it many times in teaching. Uh, It's like when you're doing something, you're with Jesus, you're being obedient, and you can feel his smile on your life. That's the abundant life that he promises. He does not promise that we're going to be financially prosperous. Uh, Most of us are not. Um, But he promises that we'll have what we need, and then by faith... Our life is abundant because we're walking by by faith. And Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. When we're walking by faith, we know God is pleased. He certainly doesn't mean that our, our abundant life will be good health. He doesn't promise that. We've got some of the finest people in the world who are are tragically ill uh, with with disease, with, with illness and sickness. Um. And and they serve God with all of their heart, and all they want is the strength in their bodies to come back so they can serve God again. They want to use their good health that they're praying for to to spend their their energy, their strength on serving God. And and yet their lives are abundant. I have an elder, uh, his story was told on the front page of our website. Uh, Jory and Lisa Smittick. Jory is uh, just out of nowhere diagnosed with bone cancer. Healthy, wonderful, serving, faithful, and and was stricken with bone cancer. And uh, I can promise you, his life is still abundant. He's still praising God, he and his wife. Uh, God is speaking to their hearts and exhorting them and encouraging them during the fight uh, through the cancer. And, um, you know, a lot of the world would say, well, that's not an abundant life. But but it, their life, believe me, is super abundant. So, um, Jesse, he doesn't mean financially or health or career. What he means is simply if you walk with Jesus, if you're where he is, your life will be rich and full and satisfying in an overflowing sense. That's what it means. Thank you, Jesse. Get time maybe for one more. Uh, Ken says, Pastor Ron, what does Hebrews 7 mean when speaking about a once-for-all sacrifice? You know, from the beginning of time, Ken, uh, religion, and I hate the word religion, but religion has has tried to um, take responsibility. You do this and God will do this kind of thing. And when Hebrews is saying once-and-for-all sacrifice, that's a reference to Jesus. We're not saved by good works. We're saved by Jesus. He was the sacrifice given once for all. And there's no need to sacrifice. I'll give you an example, Ken. The Catholic Catechism says that the, the Mass that they serve uh, every time in church is a, a, a continuing bloodless sacrifice of Christ on the cross all over again. That's why on the Catholic cr- cross, the crucifix, Jesus is still on the cross. They're, they're, they're literally, they say, sacrificing over and over and over again. And Hebrews 7 says, no, 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 there was one sacrifice for all time, once and for all. When we realize that's true, then we don't have to go to confession. We don't have to say Hail Marys. We don't have to to pray the rosary. All we have to do is trust in and rely upon Jesus' finished work on the cross. 
Jesus didn't say, as he was giving up his spirit, he didn't say, it is almost finished. Just a few more things you have to add. Jesus said, it is finished. The debt has been paid. And that was the sacrifice once for all. We feel guilty about the things that we do and we try to beat ourselves up. Jesus would scream at you. If you could hear him, he would say, don't beat yourself up. Walk in the freedom of living in a no condemnation zone. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the way life in the Spirit, Romans chapter 8, begins. So all we have to do, Ken, is remember that Jesus paid the price. Sometimes when people blow it, they want to beat themselves up. God, what do I have to do? Give me another chance. I'll do it better. I'll do this. I'll do that. Jesus says, don't. Just be obedient. My once-for-all sacrifice already covered you. There's nothing to add. There's nothing that we need to, to supply. We need only to accept and believe in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And when we understand that, life changes forever. You know, Ken, when people talk about, I'm afraid I've lost my salvation, um, if they believe that Jesus' sacrifice was once for all, we would never have to deal with that kind of guilt again. When we learn that, that's when we begin walking in the freedom that Jesus paid for. So, Ken, that's what he means. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Remember, Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the date day edition of the show. And tonight I'm going to get the first 30 verses of Daniel chapter 2, the backbone of all prophecy. What a great, great book. Hey, you've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And we'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.